Welcome to the official ABA Law Student Podcast, where we talk about issues that affect law students and recent grads. From finals and graduation to the bar exam and finding a job, this show is your trusted resource for the next big step. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the ABA Law Student Division Podcast. I am your host, Christopher Butler, and our topic today is mental health and well-being. I have two wonderful guests here with me that I spoke to briefly at the ABA Mid-Year Meeting at Las Vegas, and we're here to continue our conversation on mental health and well-being in the legal profession and as well dealing with law students. My first guest is Terry L. Harrell. She completed her law degree at Maurer School of Law and her Master of Social Work degree at Indiana University. Terry is a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed clinical addictions counselor in Indiana, and has a nationally recognized master addictions counselor certification from the NAADAC. She has worked in a variety of mental health settings, including inpatient treatment, crisis services, adult outpatient treatment, wraparound services for severely emotional disturbed adolescents, and management. Terry has been with the Indiana Judges and Lawyers Assistance Program also known as JLAP, since 2000 and became the executive director in 2002. Locally, Terry is active with the Indiana State Bar Association and is a fellow of the Indiana Bar Foundation. From 2014 to 2017, she served as the chair of the American Bar Association's Commission on Lawyer Assistance Programs, and she is the current chair of the ABA Working Group to Advance Well-Being in the Legal Profession and serves on the ABA National Task Force on Lawyer Well-Being. For her own well-being, Terry enjoys walking, running, and spending time with her therapy dog, Gus. Welcome, Terry. Thank you. My second guest is John T. Berry. He currently serves as the Florida Bar's Legal Division Director, supervising the lawyer regulation and professionalism efforts. Mr. Berry received his BA, magnum cum laude, in political science from the University of Florida in 1973, and his Juris Doctorate from Stetson University College of Law in 1976. Prior to returning to the Florida Bar, he served as the Executive Director of the State Bar of Michigan from 2000 to 2006. Before joining the State Bar of Michigan in November of 2000, he served as the Director of the Center of Professionalism at the University of Florida's Levin College of Law. He has held previous positions as Assistant Executive Director of the State Bar of Arizona and as Staff Counsel and Legal Division Director of the Florida Bar. Staff counsel duties included supervision of lawyer regulation, unauthorized practice of law, ethics, professionalism, and the advertising departments. He served for seven years as Florida Assistant State Attorney for the Ninth Judicial Circuit Fraud Division, Orlando, Florida, handling white-collar and organized crime cases. Mr. Berry was trained and approved by the Florida Supreme Court as an instructor for judicial education. He is a frequent lecturer throughout the nation and the world on ethics and professionalism. In addition, Mr. Berry is responsible for the establishment of the Florida Bars and the State Bar of Arizona's Professional Enhancement Program, where he participated as a main lecturer. He also was a member of over 15 consulting teams to other states evaluating their ethics and professionalism efforts. He served as liaison for the State Bar of Arizona to the ABA Ethics 2000 Commission and ABA Multi-Jurisdictional Practice Commission. In January, he received the highest award of the National Organization of Bar Council's President's Award. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. It's, I'm glad to have you both here and to continue our conversation on mental health and the American Bar Association and how 
we can better mental health practices and help eliminate the stigma. My first question, even though I talked about a little bit in your bios, but what is your experience with mental health and the American Bar Association? Okay. Well, I am a therapist and a lawyer, and I've worked as a lab director for the past almost 19 years now. I probably shouldn't admit that. So I work with lawyers who are dealing with some sort of life problem day in and day out. And I started we're coming to ABA events with the Commission on Lawyer Assistance Programs back in 2000. Um, and shortly thereafter, I joined a subcommittee because I was really interested in what LAPS were starting to do to assist older lawyers, either lawyers who were just struggling a little bit with when to retire and how to retire, or lawyers who were experiencing some dementia and still practicing, and joined a subcommittee and found out how helpful and useful the Commission on Lawyer Assistance Programs uh, was. And since then, I've been on many different committees and part of the commission, helping to provide good education to the lawyer assistance programs around the country, sharing best practices, ideas, helping each other, um, really using my background as a social worker and addictions counselor and my knowledge of the legal profession to put the two together the best I'm able. And I have found the commission at the ABA to be the best place to do that. Sure. And my experience in this issue of mental health and concerns with the legal profession and law students, I think, started a long time ago in 1973 when I became a law student. Even even back in those days, the stresses and the pressures and how people cope and do not cope, uh, I began very early in my career to get introduced to it from a professional standpoint. Um, 1986 was an important date for us in Florida and for me. Our board uh, engaged in whether or not we needed a lawyer assistance program to help with drug and alcohol. And unfortunately, back in those days, society and even our bar had uh, mixed feelings about that, whether or not that was just a problem of the attorney themselves or whether or not it was a responsibility of the organized bar and others around us to do something about it. I'm proud about the fact that in 1986, we were one of the first states to have a lawyer assistance program. And I had a part in helping to get that established and show support from the discipline system. Also, uh, I've been involved in numerous aspects of the discipline system. I've probably had my name associated with more licenses being taken away from lawyers than anybody in the country uh, based upon the amount of time and the places I've been. And that's that's not a happy thing. And my personality is not to uh, want to be involved with that, but to help. And so... Ever since then, and saw the problems that our profession was having and the connection that it can have for protection of the public and helping lawyers to enhance their profession. 2009, I chaired a committee for the National Organization of Bar Council called Law School Professionalism Initiatives. And a major part of that was, uh, 10 years ago, was warning the profession about the fact that uh, we're seeing more and more serious problems amongst law students and others and that we needed to do more about it. 2017, I was quite privileged to be involved with the National Organization of Bar Council to be able to help ask for the National Task Force to be set up. And that report, in my opinion, is one of the best reports I've seen in my career on anything, but in particular on health and well-being. And then subsequent to that, I had a chance to work with Terry as the chair of the ABA Working Group to try to implement all of the wonderful ideas that were there. So uh, pretty well my whole career I've been involved in this issue, not as an expert as Terry is, but clearly involved directly in the impact that mental health, drugs, and alcohol uh, have on our profession and on our 
the ethics of our profession and also the flip side of it about how important it is to work on wellness to try to really give lawyers an enhanced life and so that their lives and careers can be happy and good for them. Thank you both for your answers. And I know you both mentioned lawyer assistance program. So for the law students out there that don't know what that is, can you give a little tidbit about what those programs are? Absolutely. Almost every state today has a lawyer assistance program, or as in Indiana we call ours a judges and lawyers assistance program. Uh, And initially we only served lawyers, but most states have expanded to serve both law students and judges today, the entire profession. And LAPS are a safe place where law students can contact, get some help, get some guidance. Every program is confidential. The confidentiality rules do vary slightly by state, so you might want to read your own state's rule. But in general terms, they're confidential programs. You can seek help for really anything that's getting in your way of succeeding in law school, whether it's simply just stress of studying for exams or it's a more serious mental health, or substance use issue, or relationship issues, the LAP is a great place to start and get some help for those problems. The LAPs also provide a lot of education on well-being topics, raising awareness, how to keep yourself healthy, how to survive exams with minimal stress, um, well, or to reduce the stress. It's not going to go away, but how to help deal with that. Yeah, I think all law students would be jumping in on that if it was... uh you know, reduce all stress from exams? Yeah, if we could take it away, they'd all be signing up. We can't do that, but we can help you to cope with it better. That's that's the goal. I would make a lot of referrals, do a lot of education, uh, and as I said, almost every state has a lawyer assistance program today. I think the importance of what Terry was talking about, too, the name couldn't be a better name, the lawyer assistance program, and or for law students to help assist them with any difficulties they're having, and I'm sure they're in our interview time, we'll talk about the issues of stigma and other areas, but I think it's been a tremendous improvement since the very beginning of those programs to see a real connection between the assistance programs and the discipline system, which the discipline system is quite quite understanding and cooperative in saying, let's try to do the best job we can to help lawyers, law students, before they get into the kind of difficulties that then we have to turn to a discipline system for. So, I think they're working hand-in-hand in in almost every state now. Absolutely. The one other thing I would add on LAPS is that most LAPS also offer support groups. Traditionally, we offer support groups for law students and lawyers who are dealing with substance use issues, mental health issues. I know in our state, we've started to offer a group for people who are caregivers as well as lawyers or law students, and we periodically run a grief group for lawyers who are dealing with grief. Uh, And I know it is true around the country that LAPS are broadening the kind of support groups they offer. You know, Terry, I just thought when you were talking about that, one of the things I like to stress to folks, because it connects to a bigger point, I think a lot of the lawyer assistance programs have people working within them at one time had a problem or not. Um, It may have been a serious problem. It may years ago have led to license issues or other things. And the thing that I love about it is that for almost all of these, these are people that have had their struggles, have overcome them, and then can help others down the road. And I think the message to be sent is we all have difficulties in our lives that can be overcome. And so if you deal with them, you can then overcome them, move on to bigger and better things. And 
some of the folks that I work with and that have had these difficulties and issues in the past have been absolutely the most incredible human beings to be able to help others and also to be able to go out and help the public as well. Absolutely. Those volunteers can help to break down stigma, and then nothing is more helpful than having a volunteer come to you who can say, I've been in your shoes, I've had a problem much like this, and it can get better. Let me help show you the way out of this. Is so valuable. Given that this has seemed to be on the radar with the lawyer assistance programs for the past few decades, um, as more and more states have implemented them, why is mental health and well-being still such a prevalent issue in the legal profession, including with substance abuse issues? Um, I know statistics show that the legal profession is one of the highest professions that deal with uh, abuse of different substances. So why is it still such a prevalent issue? Yeah, of course. Why is it still such a prevalent issue? There's no exact answer to that. But I think for a long time, we kind of knew it, but didn't really want to turn around and face the fact that our profession has higher rates of substance use problems, mental health problems, and most importantly, that we're unwilling to accept help for those issues or to request help. The research in 2016 done by the ABA and Hazel and Betty Ford really gave us good data. And I think that helped people to kind of get over the hump and recognize it is a problem. And we're taking strides, but I think there's some setup in our culture. And I'm sure John will have more thoughts on this. But I think the work that we do is stressful, but we're certainly not the only profession that deals with stress. It is an adversarial system, which causes some problems. It's a system where you must keep a large portion of your work must remain confidential. So I think it can be a very isolating profession at times. It's a profession that really values perfectionism, which can be very hard on individuals. I I wish we could work towards excellence, not perfection. But in fact, when there's deadlines and a particular judge wants something just the way he wants it, you know, we're often feel like we have to be perfect. Uh, That's a problem. And I do think our culture has become one where we use alcohol in a way that's more excessive than other professions. That, you know, our bar association or employment events, there's just more alcohol than in some other professions, more than in other professions that I have been in. And so we're not asking people, saying lawyers can't drink alcohol, but we need to take the emphasis away, just not make so many events be about, um, I think most law students have seen the events that are advertised, it's a joke that there's a big sign that says free beer, and then in little print underneath it tells you what the event will be about. That's kind of become a part of our culture, and I would rather it be about this educational session. If someone wants to serve some alcoholic beverages, that's fine, but can we flip the emphasis here? I couldn't agree more with Terry's comments, and I'll I'll wax uh, philosophical a little bit here, having had the chance to deal with our profession, our society, and some of the problems we run into. I, Justice uh, Vesey uh, from the Ethics 2020 made a, a statement uh, at one time saying that we were in search of the hearts and soul of our profession, and I think that's going on right now in our society and our profession as well. The prioritization of what's important in our lives. Is it going to be family and God and, and others, or is it going to be, as Larry Krieger has done a wonderful work on what makes lawyers happy or unhappy, and he talks about extrinsic factors versus intrinsic factors. And lawyers are hard-driven people, just like Terry says in all professions, but I think in our profession in particular, 
we're driven to success. Uh, people are smart and they want to success. Too many of them, unfortunately, go into the profession, at least initially, to make money, to get awards, to get the kind of satisfaction that we get from extrinsic versus intrinsic factors. I think we're going for the wrong brass ring. And many uh, law schools, many law firms set up a brass ring, as Terry also pointed out, of maybe overly being competitive versus collaborative to be able to go after those extrinsic factors. Law firms, which put an extreme pressure on lawyers to bill more and more hours, knowing full well that that's going to cause problems down the way. There's a song with some uh, lyrics to it called Slip Sliding Away. And I think in some ways we slip slide in a way from where we should be to slowly ending up in the wrong place. Studies of law students have found that they're actually worse off by the end of law school than they are at the beginning in reference to the kind of things they're looking for to give them satisfaction in life, something important, something idealistic. And by the third year, in many ways, unfortunately, either intentionally or not mostly unintentionally, have sort of beaten that out of them. Uh, John Dean, who only maybe some of the older folks that are listening to this, and maybe not many of our law students unless they've studied it, was a counsel to the President of the United States, and he ultimately ended up uh, committing crimes. And I've talked to him, and one of his comments was called incrementalization. How do we get ourselves into trouble? We do it one step at a time, one slow little step at a time. We see that in ethics. We see that in our drug, alcohol, and mental health issues. We start having a mental health issue, we don't deal with it. We let it go. We start drinking just a couple extra glasses of wine instead of one, and it starts sliding a little bit farther. Again, as Terry has so well put out, we are so competitive that we don't network well. We don't have accountability partners. We're sort of loners in what what we're doing in our Laos and elsewhere. So I think the combination of all the factors that she indicated and maybe a few that I threw in have given us, frankly, a crisis in our profession that we all want to deal with. And uh, groups like this working group that Terry chairs is just doing an incredible job to be able to help in that area. So given the uh, working group and the how COLAP, you all came together and did these studies and came out with these statistics, and I know that as an organization, the ABA is working towards making sort of broad sweeping changes to how we address mental health issues in our profession. But what can law students do on the ground, you know, in their individual settings at their law schools to improve mental health practices personally and in their communities? I'll start off on this one and then, uh, Hopefully, I'll leave plenty. Terry and I have done this so often, we're, we sometimes just basically hit the same point, so hopefully I won't do that. But I think the starting point I've worked with in law schools and been involved with them very much, the starting point for students to get help within law schools starts with students. I think the real ability of students who either have had problems or care deeply about these issues to try to work with and help other students it's great to bring in John Barry with his gray hair and talk about all of his experience, and I think we can do a lot. But I think when you talk student to student and you talk to Jane and Joe and say, you know, I've had this problem, or I see you're having a problem, let's talk about it. So I think one of that's one of the starting points. I think the other is, um, and I had to get this information in about the task force every time I talk about it, 
this page nine of the task force indicates that well-being is a continuing process thriving across all life dimensions. And in it, it mentions your emotional aspects, occupational, social, physical, and intellectual, and yes, spiritual. Too often we run away from the fact of meaning, purpose, searching for a higher power, searching which is used in AA, searching for God, searching for some meaning in your life. And I think Law students too often will get so dragged into the work, so the drudgery, even if you love the drudgery of spending so much time on that, we're not spending enough time on actually being healthy, which helps you avoid having to deal with all the illness you're having by not becoming more healthy. So I think uh, students helping students, the experience of people like Terry coming in and talking, the experience of people like me who have seen things not go so well, to try to help, but ultimately to have a, a well-balanced approach. And I'll end with this. I think part of the breakdown maybe of our problems is the breakdown in the families. I'm waxing philosophical again, but I think uh, we have to recognize the fact that many of the students coming into law school are coming from broken families or coming from places where they haven't had the chance to really have the, the benefits. We need to recognize that, care for them, and find find ways to help them. Thank you, John. You give such a broad perspective. It's really helpful. Um, I'll start speaking about the work of the working group at the ABA. The working group has created a pledge for legal employers uh, with seven points that help people move in the direction of well-being. And law schools are legal employers. uh, And I'm very pleased to say that a number of law schools have taken the pledge recently and that's really the pledge is aimed at your employees, but I think in the law schools it's going to be applied to the lawyers that they employ, but also to the law students, I would assume. That is something that law students can learn about. They can go to the ABA website and just search for ABA Working Group to Advance Wellbeing, and our site will pop up with the pledge. And you could advocate. Something you can do as a law student is advocate that your law school take the pledge. That would be a step in pushing sustainable change within the law schools. The points on the pledge are provide robust education. On that point, law students can ask the school for education. We want to learn about symptoms that someone's struggling, how to help, maybe mindfulness training, maybe suicide prevention. Work to just reduce the expectation of alcohol or the emphasis on alcohol events. I'm not saying you can't serve alcohol, but let's not make it the focus. Um, The third is partner with outside providers, and I think one thing law students can do, go meet with your local lawyer assistance program. You can talk to them about your own personal well-being plan. Hey, am I doing a good job? This is what I'm doing. Get some tips. But you can also talk to them about how how can we work together to make our law school a healthier environment and work with them on both sort of the systemic level as well as the individual level, because you were asking what law students can do. The other thing you can do is be a good example. Take care of yourself and be a model for other students in the fact that you do, you're mindful of your own well-being. Many law schools are beginning to have counselors come in at the law school, and that's something you can ask your law school for. There's many ways to fill that need. If your campus counseling has adequate slots that law students can quickly get in there or can send someone over to the law school, that may be adequate. I work with a lot of law schools where by the time, you know, early October rolls around, you can't get in with university counseling until after finals. Well, that's not helpful 
So some schools are having someone from the lawyer assistance program have office hours right at the school. Some are having a private therapist come into the school or hiring a therapist to work at the school. Uh, Again, sometimes the university counseling service can provide that. There's multiple ways to do it. But what you want is for students to be able to get help in a timely manner when they need it. Whether it's a small problem or a big problem, if you start on it sooner rather than later, you're going to get a better outcome. You know, I might, if I've got time, um, if we've got time, I'd like to add a couple other things that came from the professionalism report we did 10 years ago, which ties a lot into what Terry was saying, but the specific recommendations there where schools themselves have to be able to be teaching in one way or another students for resiliency and coping skills. They should be teaching what's called professional identity, which is forming the people, kind of a wide range of skills and sets you need to be able to survive. And does the school itself have, for instance, in the way it teaches collaborative assignments and shared responsibilities where students learn to work with each other instead of against each other? Even such things as teaching Myers-Briggs and Bergman to learn more about how you actually relate to other people and how you can find your own strengths and weaknesses in yourself and be able to work on it. And are there programs in place where students are actually oriented as to the exact stresses that they're going to be facing in law school that will be unique from college? Sometimes I think students think that they're just moving from college to law school and it's going to be the same old, same old. It isn't. It's completely different. The way we learn, the way we have to, are tested, the way the competition that's going on is completely different. And so orientation programs that strongly emphasize those things to students, I think, are vitally important as well. Thank you guys for those answers. I know that um, a lot of the information that you gave will be very helpful. I know uh, one of the things that has started in the past few months is that there has been a coalition of different law students that have started or are the heads of or a part of mental health organizations in their law school. And so someone made a Facebook page so we could all come together, share resources, share ideas. And I definitely look forward to posting this podcast in there, um, especially for those ideas that you just posted, because I know one thing that a lot of law schools are struggling with is being able to have a counselor on campus. And so there are different ways that uh, law students have tried to do it. But I think especially leaning into the lawyer assistance programs will be very helpful. You know, the comment you make really jogged my thoughts about the young lawyers division to bars as well. Florida, because we've had recent suicides, has taken this issue very seriously, had our own committee and commissions. But our young lawyers division Um, just as you just pointed out, has really stressed this issue. They understand the issue. For instance, they just put up in Florida two videos of two of our board members, our senior board members, who dealt one with mental health issue, another with a drug issue. And if you watch that and you do not have a tear in your eye, both for the suffering they went through, but also for the joy of overcoming them and going forward, Um, there's something wrong with your heart. And it it is absolutely useful because it breaks down the stigma that Terry mentioned earlier that uh, this happens to everybody. And for a young lawyer, for a law student to watch watch those videos and see somebody and say, learn from me and know there are resources available like the resources Terry's mentioned, that can make all the difference in the world. And somebody once told me, how do do I get across to young people and the best answer I've ever heard yet is narrative. It's narrative, talking about lives, talking about real lives, not giving them a checklist of 22 things, but saying this is what happened to me, 
this is the help that I got, and you can make it. Yeah, let me follow that up with a couple of points. John's right. He's saying narrative. And I, what I would say to law students is talk about it. Part of the reason this has not been fixed sooner is that previous generations were unwilling to talk about it. And I think your generation is willing to talk about it. So do and keep talking about it. I love your Facebook page. I think that's a way to gain momentum and share good ideas. And another idea I would put to those within their law schools who are working to promote well-being, there's an organization in Australia, and all you have to put in to find it is just R-U-O-K, four letters, literally the letters, R-U-O-K. They have wonderful resources, and they will give you details on how to have an R-U-O-K day at your law school, where you simply ask people, are you okay? And you listen in a very real way to a real response about how people are doing. And I think we've been remiss in not doing that enough with our colleagues. And that's something that a law school could easily promote and do that wouldn't cost anything, but I think could be very effective. And it would be a way to keep the conversation going. Yeah, and one other area I think is proven to be really good. We tend to group ourselves into segments by all kinds of categories. And one area that we can do a good job of is joining younger lawyers and more mature lawyers, senior lawyers together, and be able to learn from each other. And as we use that in Florida and other states, there's a lot that we as more senior attorneys can learn from younger lawyers. And there's a tremendous amount that uh, lawyers that have been through the struggles and overcome them can help others. And there's just something special about suddenly realize we're all in this together, that it's not just one group, it's not just the young, it's not just the old, it's not just the middle-aged. We all have our own struggles. And to be able to sit down and talk to each other, learn from each other, it helps us in many more ways, even beyond just health and well-being or, or drugs and alcohol and mental health. It just helps us as human beings. Thank you both for those wonderful remarks at the end. Unfortunately, we have come to the end of our podcast, and I would love to keep talking about this, as I am well uh, sure that many other students would like to hear this continue. But for now, we have come to the end of this podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening. I would like to thank my guests, Terry Harrow and John Barry, for joining me again for this wonderful podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Christopher. And last, before we go, I would like to leave us with a quote. Healing isn't about changing who you are. It's about changing your relationship to who you are. A fundamental part of that is honoring how you feel. Thank you again for joining us for this edition of the ABA for Law Students podcast. I am your host, Christopher Butler. You can follow us on Twitter at ABALSD for ABA for Law Students. Search us on other social media platforms at ABA for Law Students, as well as on Facebook. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. Remember, U.S. law students at ABA-accredited schools can join the ABA for free. Join now at AmericanBar.org forward slash law student. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.